open your Bibles this morning. If you have them with you, I hope you do. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we'll look at verse um, 23, 1 Corinthians. You know, um, it's always a special time uh, when you have the Lord's Supper, special. But um, somehow I pray that God will just um, open our eyes and we'll understand the meaning of the cross and about the death of Jesus. You know, a part of our life is this, that we celebrate life. We do. With the people that we love, listen to me now, the people that we love, whether it's our family, our friends, but people that are our acquaintances, you know, we like to celebrate life. I mean, we celebrate life. Man, we celebrate when a baby is born. Man, what a joyful occasion that is. And we celebrate birth. We celebrate life. You know what we do? We celebrate birthdays every year. I mean, we celebrate when they're born, one year, two. Hey, we celebrate each other. You know why? We celebrate life. We celebrate birthdays. You know, we celebrate uh, uh, when, used to be when people graduated from high school, there'd be a big celebration because now we celebrate when they graduate from kindergarten. And then they graduate from middle school. And then they go to high school. And then finally they graduate from high school. We done had four celebrations. But you know why? That's okay. We like to celebrate life. Man, we celebrate when people get married. Weddings are a joyful occasion. We just, we, you know, we love to celebrate. We celebrate anniversaries. Uh, Archie and Faye this week celebrated their 69th wedding anniversary. That's worth celebrating. I told Archie, you old enough, almost old enough to be my daddy. He didn't like that. But you know, we're always celebrating. And we celebrate life. And that is good because life is a blessing from God. And every breath we breathe, man, it's just joyful to celebrate life. But you know the amazing thing? Jesus told us to celebrate his death. He told us to celebrate his death. Now, when a loved one dies, we honor them and we respect them. But really, you know, we just don't really because of our love and affection. It's hard to celebrate death. But Jesus said, now listen, I want you to celebrate my death. In fact, he was so emphatic about us celebrating his death that he told us exactly how to do it and he told us to do it often. Now, if you have your Bible, 1 Corinthians 11, he says, now, I want you to celebrate my death and I'm going to tell you exactly how to do it. In verse 23, it says, I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, Paul said, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. 
This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember my physical sufferings on the cross. Remember that I was wounded and bruised. This is my body that's broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Verse 25, in the same manner, he took the cup after supper saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. He said, I'm going to shed my blood on the cross. And it's going to be the basis of a new covenant between God and man. This is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink it, as often as you drink it, in re- this do and often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then he said it. Listen to what he said. For as often as you uh, eat this bread and as often as you drink this cup, you do show my, you do proclaim my death till I come. He said, regularly, faithfully get together and take that unleavened bread, which is a symbol of my body, which was broken for you on the cross. And you take it and you eat it and you just remember, you remember me. And then he said, you're going to have the fruit of the vine. And it's a picture of of my precious blood that was shed so your sins could be forgiven. And so you could be reconciled to God. It's the blood of the new covenant. He said, you drink it. He said, because as often as you do that, you are, listen to this, you are proclaiming, you are celebrating my death till I come again. Celebrate his death. Now, we do celebrate his life. You know that. He didn't tell us to. He didn't command us to celebrate his life. We we celebrate his birth. Did you know that? When we celebrate his birth, what is it called? Anybody know? Christmas. Somebody knew. We celebrate his birth. We celebrate his birth all the way around the world every year. He didn't tell us to, but we do. You know, We celebrate his resurrection, his rising from the dead. What is that called? Every year, all around the world, they say, he was born, Emmanuel, God with us. Every year, around this world, he rose from the dead. Muhammad is in the grave, Buddha's in the grave, but glory to God, Jesus is alive. And we celebrate his resurrection. We celebrate his soon return. You notice he said here, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. You proclaim my death till I come. He came the first time. He was beaten and crucified and mocked. He's coming the second time, hallelujah, as King of kings and Lord of lords. And every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess. We celebrate his return. But the question the world would ask and could never understand unless God reveals it to him. The question the world would say, what is it about the cross? Why do you celebrate his death? Why do you celebrate his body? And his, why do you do that? Now, I, I want to say this to you. I've never felt so strongly in my life about what I'm fixing to say. You'll never understand his death, his body, and his blood, unless God's Spirit reveals it to you. 
You can know it intellectually. I know he died on the cross for me. But I am telling you, God has got to take it. And he has got to get it in your heart. And you have got to say, but oh, he died for me. See, I just understand that that, that the gospel of the death of Christ, his broken body and his shed blood, it's... You can understand it intellectually, but God wants you to get beyond your intellect. And he wants to get it in your heart. And he wants to grip your heart and and absolutely grip your heart so that it will absolutely affect your life. You say, well, why do we celebrate his death? I'm going to give you three reasons, and then we're going to celebrate. You know why we celebrate his death? Because Christ died for our sins. Now, buddy, did I ever need someone to die for my sins? Sinner by nature, sinner by choice, rebellious, wanting my own way. You know why we celebrate his death? Because Christ died for your sins and for mine. I'm just going to give you about four verses 1 Corinthians 15, 3 says, I delivered unto you that which I received, Paul said, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, listen at this. You, you two talk about why we celebrate his death. He died for our sins. He made him, Jesus, he made him, Jesus, to be sin for us. Get that. He made Jesus to be sin for me. He made Jesus to be sin for you. He made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I am telling you, Jesus was made sin for you so that you could be made righteous in him. You know why we celebrate his death? Because Christ died for our sins. 1 Peter chapter 2 says, Who himself bore our sins in his blood body now listen to it who himself bore our sins in his body on the tree and by whose stripes you are healed and then it says again in in Isaiah 53 5 and 6 now why do we celebrate his death because he died for our sins Isaiah 53 5 get this put your name in here he was wounded for my transgressions he was bruised For my iniquities. The chastisement of my peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All of us like sheep had gone astray. But the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. You know why we celebrate his death? Because he died for our sins. And without his death, his shed blood, without his taking our place... Becoming our substitute, every one of us would die in our sins, forever separated from God in a place called hell. I'm going to tell you why we celebrate his death. Because your only hope of forgiveness and being forgiven is found in his death on your behalf. The second reason we celebrate his death is not only that Christ died for our sins, but through the death of Christ we are reconciled to God. Now let me tell you. Look up here. When God created man, they were just like that. Nothing. No separation. No separation. Man and God were one. Man and woman were one. No separation. 
But when we sinned, when Adam sinned and we sinned, that sin separated us from God. And there was a separation. But listen, you know what Jesus did in his death? He came and he dealt with that separation. And he reconciled us to God. I want want to read a passage to you. I want you to listen. You see, we celebrate his death because he reconciled us to God. He reconciled us. Now listen to this. This is you and this is me. When we were without strength, we couldn't help ourselves. Christ died for the ungodly. That's us. Scarcely for a righteous man, one might perhaps to die. For a good man, someone might even die. But God showed his love for you. And that while you were still a sinner, and I was still a sinner, Christ died for you. Much more then, having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Now listen at this. If when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, that's the way you get back with God. You don't get back with God by being religious. You don't get back with God by good works. You don't get back with God by baptism. You don't get back with God by catechism. You don't get back with God by confirmation. The only way you get back with God is you're reconciled through the death of his son. If when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we will be saved by his life. You know, when Christ Jesus comes to live in you, when Christ Jesus comes to live in you, not only are your sins washed away, but glory to God, you're no longer separated from God, but the chasm that separated you from God, your sin, you are reconciled to God through the death of his son. Here's the third reason we celebrate his death. One, we celebrate his death because he died for our sins. His death for our sins. We celebrate his death because through his death we're reconciled to God. But I'm telling you, this is perhaps the greatest truth. When I saw this in the Bible, it absolutely blew me away. Now, if you'll just, if somehow God will give you ears to hear... You, you will say, that, that's unbelievable how God fulfilled his word. You see, it is through the death of Christ that we can live in the presence of God. Not only through his death are our sins forgiven, not only through his death are we reconciled to God, but it is through the death of Christ, it is through his death that we can live in the presence of God. You see, when Adam sinned, He was separated from God, and he no longer lived in God's presence. No longer. He was not living in the presence of God because of his sin. Well, to symbolize that, to teach the people of Israel and others that they couldn't live in God's presence, you know what they did? They erected what became the focal point of all of their worship. It was called the tabernacle. Now, this tabernacle, which was the pattern for the temple that was later built, everywhere they went, they had the tabernacle in the wilderness for 40 years. 
God spent, now listen to this. God gave 40 chapters in the Bible on how Moses was to build the tabernacle. Can you believe that? 40 chapters, he said, now this is the way you build the tabernacle. This is the material you put in. There were three rooms in the tabernacle. There was the outer court. Everybody came there. They came with their lambs. They came with their doves. They came with their sacrifices because they knew they were sinners. And they brought their sacrifices to the priest. And there in the outer court was a bronze, a brazen altar. Bronze, the picture of judgment. They would bring their sacrifices day after day, week after week, month after month. And that priest would offer, they would shed the blood of that lamb or goat on that brazen altar. They would offer that sacrifice, offer that sacrifice for the sins of the people that could not take away their sins but only cover them. So there was a brazen altar where they offered their sacrifices. And then you go a little bit further in the holy outer court, and there was a laver, a bronze laver full of water where the priest would wash themselves as they offered the sacrifices. But then there was a curtain, and then there was a second room in the tabernacle. It was called the holy place. No outside light could ever come into the holy place. But in the holy place, you moved out of the outer court, brazen altar, bronze laver. You moved through that curtain, and you got in the holy place. The only light in the holy place, no light from the outside. On one side was seven golden lampstands, fed by all symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And those seven golden lampstands were the testimony that one day Jesus would come and that as the light of the world, he would bring light into the darkness. So in the holy place on this side was the seven golden lampstands, Jesus, the light of the world. And on this side was a table of showbread. And there was the bread, a picture of Jesus, the bread of life. In a, little, in a moment, we're going to take the un leavened bread a picture of no sin which is the picture of the body of Christ but here was the table of showbread and you see bread is where life is it is life and Jesus was the one who said I am the bread of life I am the bread that came down from heaven and so there was the seven golden lampstands and there was a table of showbread there where symbolic of Jesus the bread of life and then at the back of the holy place there was a, a, a an incense an altar of incense, and constantly a sweet-smelling savor was going up out of the tabernacle. It was a picture of the sinless life of Christ, the sweet-smelling Savior of the sinless Son of God. But I want you to listen. At the back of the holy place was a seven-inch thick, ten-foot-high scarlet veil. A curtain, it was massive. A curtain, a veil, it was massive. Seven inches thick, ten feet high. And inside the veil, guess what? There was the third room, outer court, holy place. But inside the veil was the holy of holies. And there in the holy of holies was the mercy seat. And above the mercy seat was the ark of the covenant. Always symbolic of the presence of God. Wherever the ark was, that's where God was. 
But you know the thing about the holy place? The people went into the outer court every day. The priest went into the holy place every day. The, the people couldn't go there, but the people were in the outer court of the tabernacle every day. The priest went into the holy place every day. But you know, inside the veil, the holy of holies, nobody could go. Because everybody knew the presence of God wasn't in the outer court. The presence of God wasn't in the holy place. Behind the veil, above the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat, was the Shekinah glory of God. God dwelled in the holy of holies. But you couldn't go in there. And as long as that veil was in place, stay with me. As long as that seven-inch thick curtain, ten feet high, was there, it says, keep out. You cannot live in the presence of God. And once a year, once a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go in, having washed himself, would sprinkle the mercy seat with blood seven times and come out. And for one year, nobody would ever go back in because you couldn't live in the presence of God. Now go with me down through time. Matthew chapter 27. Jesus Christ is hanging on the cross. Now stay with me. It's the most great fulfillment of prophecy in this world. Jesus is hanging on the cross. And, he, and he's just about at the point of dying in our place. He's hanging there and he cries out, I thirst. And then Jesus, as he hangs there on the cross, bearing our sins on himself, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God forsaken, so we'd never have to be God forsaken. And then it said Jesus cried out with a loud voice and died. But now the question is, what did he cry out? What did he cry out with a loud voice? You know what he cried out? John chapter 19, verse 30 said, And there in that moment where he died in our place, that Jesus cried out, It is what? He said, It is finished. The sacrifice for sin, sin past, present, and future, paid in full by the Son of God. It is finished. Listen. Matthew 27 says, the moment he said that, God reached down from heaven and he gripped that seven-inch thick scarlet veil that kept people out of the presence of God. And the Bible says, and the veil in the temple was ripped from top to bottom. And God said, welcome into my presence. Welcome into the presence of the living God. Man, I read that. I read that and I said, when Jesus made that perfect sacrifice, what God had been longing for, for us to be back in his presence and to live there was now accomplished. And man, don't you know that all heaven shouted and all hell trembled when the veil was torn in two and God said, you can come back into my presence through the blood of Jesus Christ. And Hebrews says, therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter God's presence through the precious blood of Jesus, let us draw near with a true heart. You know, no wonder Jesus said, celebrate my death. No wonder. Because 
Christ's death took care of our sins. Christ's death reconciled us to God. And it was through the death of Christ that the veil was torn in two. And now we can live in the presence of God. So in a moment, the unleavened bread. Celebrate my death. Because without it, you wouldn't have hope. (laughs) The cup. The the root of the vine, symbolic of his precious blood. He said, celebrate my death. For without the shedding of blood, there was no remission of sin.